Welcome to In the Gutter, a podcast that is all comics, all bangers, all the time, with story expert Lonnie Diane Rich and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. One of the hosts has read almost no superhero comics, and the other has read almost all of them. We'll let you sort out which is which. And now, In the Gutter. Okay, it's so weird. It's so weird, Joshua. Um, okay, so I tried to, like, first of all, you sent me this, and you were like, this is the first issue that we're doing. We decided we're going to do it in the gutter. Um, it's a banger. It's awesome. I'm like, great, great. Just tell me what it is. <laughs> so you tell me, and then I go and do a search, and there's like 12 of them on Amazon that are Captain America Winter Soldier. And I, you know, so I look Brew Baker because, and there's a whole bunch by Brew Baker. Like, it's true. And then, and then when we talked about this, we did a little kind of mini announcement on Twitter. And of course, the very first response was like, hey, I've got it. Is this it? You're like, nope. But on the cover of what <laughs> the Twitter person sent you is a picture of the Winter Soldier, of Brew Baker, Captain America, Winter Soldier. I don't even know. Like, I, was so worried until we actually, you know, like started taking notes and talking about this story. <laughs> I had a worry in the back of my head that I'd even gotten the wrong one. And you sent me the direct link to get that one. So like, what the hell is going on with having absolutely, there's no like volume number, series number, there's a year. So like you can, if you can find the year, but when you're trying to find this stuff, sometimes you don't see the year or sometimes the year, like I was looking at this and it was 2019 because that was when the yeah. Omnibus volume was published, but now when the original one was published, and I have to say, like, I'm into it. Like, I'm I'm totally into it. I think this is great. I don't understand how anybody ever finds a comic book that they're looking for specifically. How does that work? Uh, with great difficulty, honestly. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, this series is so Brubaker's run is over a span of years, right? Yeah. And he they actually gave him a new number one. So the issue we're going to read today is Captain America number one, but it's volume five, number one. Oh, okay. Now, that's not volume five, like I have five books on a shelf. That's volume five, like a magazine publishing thing. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Which with a lot of magazines, they will do it by year or something like that. Mm -hmm. Comic books- right started to get really excited, especially I should say superhero comics got really excited about really big numbers on their covers. Like at the point that you're like, this is the 343rd issue of Amazing Spider-Man. You know, that's a yeah. big deal, right? Because uh, yeah. um, a lot of times the, the runs don't go that long or the character's not successful or whatever. So if you have a character, Spidey is a great example, Batman's a great example, where you have three plus titles that are all going mm -hmm. into the several hundred issues, they don't always like reboot that volume on any kind of regular schedule. And so for instance, uh -huh. Captain America as a character was in a book called Captain America in the forties. And then he kind of went uh -huh. away because of world war two ending and the house on American activities committee making superheroes complicated. And <laughs> then Marvel happened and they brought him back and he got another book and that's volume two, but that's in the sixties. So between the 60s so and 2005, okay. uh -huh. they went uh -huh. from volume two to volume five. It's not exactly speedy. 
So, so Captain America, is that because Captain America was just not a big hit? Because when I think of, I mean, of course, you know, understanding that my understanding of Marvel happened, you know, like, like the big bang for me with Marvel <laughs> was, was 2008 was right. Iron Man, right? So for me, I see Captain America coming out swinging and I'm like, oh, this is a big character. Was it not a big character historically for Marvel? In the... In the 40s, absolutely. Uh, one thing that you and I talked about on our Listen Up A-Holes episode, our mm-hmm. MCU podcast, uh, when we were looking at Captain America, I was telling you how popular he was as a character right. that his individual issues were outselling Time magazine. And this is in the 40s. When, ta- you know, there's right. not TV. It's radio and it's magazine stands and he's outselling time. He was super popular even before we were in the war. And then all superheroes took a big jump in popularity during the war because they got a little, you know, oh, let's charitably call it patriotic. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And and uh, and a lot of comic books were shipped to GIs on the front. Because uh, mm-hmm. they were easy to, they were quick and breezy and you could pass them around, you know. So superhero comics intensely popular, including Captain America, through the end of the war. The 50s, and this is a whole history lesson, but the 50s with the yeah. House on American Activities, the Comics Code Authority, Red Scare, all of that stuff comes together and just makes superheroes deeply unpopular so that for the most Mm -hmm. part they basically go away except for batman superman and wonder woman they stay in continuous Mm -hmm. publication the 60s come around dc reboots a bunch of its characters marvel shows up and does its thing that's slightly different and cap's not part of that original slate he's actually found in the ice by the Mm -hmm. avengers and then he becomes right. an Avenger before he gets his own book. And then his popularity sort of waxes and wanes. I think what's mm-hmm. uh, going to shock you is that the mm-hmm. reason we got the Avengers and the reason we got the characters that we did is because they were so unpopular in the comics that other movie studios had not purchased them already. Ah, now, I'm yes. not saying nobody uh-huh. was buying Avengers, but I mean, nobody was buying Avengers compared to things like X-Men and Spider-Man sold to Fox sure. and Sony respectively. So All right, so wait, explain to me just a second though. So there's volume 1 that's the 40s. Yes. Then there's volume 2 that's the 60s. What defines and I know this is probably something you're going to laugh at. <laughs> what defines a volume? Like okay. if if he was if he was wickedly popular in the 40s, so there were like hundreds of comics, but they were all part of one volume. Yeah, and when so in this case and and I am no expert on magazine publishing, so I'm going to do my best here. But this is yeah. this is the difference between publishing arms, right? Like when you say volume yes. in novel publishing, you know exactly what you get. It's one book, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. It might be mm-hmm. a collection of other books, you know, like it might be an anthology, volume one, two, mm-hmm. three, or whatever. But that's what you get yeah. is a book. Uh, in mm-hmm. magazine publishing, it's really about the calendar most of the mm-hmm. time, but also other vagaries, which like I, like I say, that's why if you have a book yeah. that wants to have a magazine, I should say, and comic books, I, I will say a book because it's just title or book, that kind of thing okay. is interchangeable mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. But in this case, think of them like magazines. If you have a magazine that wants to celebrate the higher its numbers go, you're going to have fewer volumes because when you get a new volume, it starts the numbering you back over. Start or it over. can. It can. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some of wow. these rules are based on, and I'm not even kidding about this. Some of these rules are based on, did you want to maintain your license for second class mail? 
Ah. Because to just pull a random Marvel example, the reason that Thor was in uh, mm-hmm. Journey into Mystery is because Journey into Mystery was the anthology book that they introduced him in and he became popular enough to become the main story. And mm-hmm. so they didn't have to get a new license for second class <laughs> mail because those cost a lot. Journey into uh-huh. Mystery just becomes Thor. But if I recall, they didn't change the numbering. Like they just kept the journey into mystery numbering. So that kind of thing will confuse this because nobody cared about volumes in a bookstore way until the 1980s. And even then they didn't care a lot, but they care a lot more now. Like the the bookshelves at your Barnes and Noble are a huge deal for comics in a way that they have never been before it was Mm -hmm. all treated like magazine publishing. So a lot of this confusion is that kind of like we're doing multiple publishing arms at the same time. On top of that, comic Mm -hmm. book companies are notorious for releasing multiple volumes that cover the same story. Like, here's one that costs about $10 that's on paper you could use as toilet paper. Here's a really (laughs) nice deluxe edition with hardcover and glossy pages and stuff like Uh that. And then they'll do an omnibus, which is frankly too big, in my opinion. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, it's like doing homework. If I have an omnibus edition, yeah. I got to sit at the table like I'm doing my math homework <laughs> in eighth grade. I can't hold that thing up. It's terrible. And that's really what happened with this Captain America run. It was so popular that like they spit out a real quick edition and then they do mm-hmm. a deluxe edition and then the movie happens and they do a whole different version that's, you mm-hmm. know, uh, more focused on just the Winter Soldier stuff. I mean, there's just a whole lot of different approaches to make money. And that's before you take into account that names like Captain America and Winter Soldier are also characters in the damn story. So (laughs) for instance, our Twitter friend, that story was actually centered on Bucky and Natasha. Uh So it's centered on Winter Soldier and Black Widow. So it was called Uh the Winter Soldier, even though (laughs) we're also going to have a story called Captain America colon the Winter Soldier. But wasn't there more than one, and this might be just I got confused and I started running around in circles, but I remember (laughs) doing a search and there was more than one, not just Winter Soldier, but Captain America colon Winter Soldier. There was more than one. So I was looking for the Brubaker, but my understanding is there was more than one by Brubaker. Yes. Is that... Okay, so like when you have the same title and the same author and there are no distinguishing characteristics, like our Twitter friend being a little confused about if that was the one we were reading, like how how we distinguish this particular one, aside from saying that it came out in 2004, which again can be confusing if you're looking at yeah. perhaps a volume or, or, you know, collection, omnibus, trade paperback, um, whatever, uh, because those are done years later later um how 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 do our our <laughs> listeners find the issues that we're looking for i mean aside from there will be links in the show notes we do have that available uh just that you get the right one but you know how 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 does anybody know they're reading the same one if they've got the same name just it's the year? really difficult it's really difficult <laughs> I, i'm being honest this very series yeah. was the moment yeah. that i realized 
I was a little out of the loop because after the movie came out, I sent somebody to the comic book store who wanted to read Captain America stuff. And I said, awesome. Winter Soldier is literally based. Bits of it are based on this long running thing. I recommend starting at the beginning. So just look for Uh Captain America Volume 1 with Ed Brubaker's name on the cover. And they said, "Okay." And then they got to the comic store and they called me and they were like, there are three of those. (laughs) and they actually had to video call me and I had to do it from the cover, which I only knew because I had read it already. So I don't have an elegant solution There's no way to to make it make sense. Well, I have one elegant solution. Find a friendly local comic shop that is good Uh and ask for help. That's it. I'm honest. Ask for help because that is the only way to navigate. Yeah. All right. So here we are in the gutter, right? What are what are we doing today? What are we starting with now? Episode one of season one of In the Gutter. What are we doing? However you can get it. <laughs> we are reading Captain America number one from its fifth volume in 2004. The first six issues are subtitled Out of Time. So we are reading Captain yes. America Out of Time number one. And I'm going to run through the credits right quick. Now, I I'm, I did as much research as I could. I'm going to give you the, uh-huh. um, like, for the whole collection, the credits, because I'm having a hard time parsing out who colored what. Who and did what, what issue so, of what. Yes, exactly. So, and, uh-huh. and for reference, the one I'm probably going to link is the Winter Soldier Ultimate Collection, which itself is in multiple volumes, but that's the one <laughs> I'm using. And so our writer is Ed Brubaker. We have two mm-hmm. artists. Steve Epting is the main artist, but whenever there's a flashback, that's Michael Lark. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the letterers are VCs Randy Gentile, Chris Eliopoulos, and Joe Caramagna. Assistant editors are Nicole Wiley, Molly Laser, Andy Schmidt, and Aubrey Stitson. The editor is Tom Brevert. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention, this is mostly for our Listen Up A-Hole fans, that Captain America was originally created by Joe Simon... And Jack Kirby. Yay, Jack Kirby. I do love Jack Kirby. So, yeah. so that'll cover us through the first six issues. We're also going to do the seventh issue, The Lonesome Death of Jack Monroe, uh, whose artists are John Paul Leon and Tom Palmer. So that mm-hmm. we will get to that eventually. But today it's issue one of Out of Time. Clear as mud, yes. right? Clear as mud. So everyone listening, just uh, follow along and um, and go to your comic book store and support your local comic book store because the experts there will hopefully be able to help you figure it all out. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what everybody does, right? Um, because this is something that uh, over on um, Endless, which is the Sandman podcast that yes. I do with Lisa Quitney, who worked at DC during the 90s. She was an assistant editor for, uh, for Sandman. We have talked about all of the different roles that people play. And um, so I'm going to go through them as best I can. (laughs) But for those of you who want the real expertise, go to Elisa. Um, Is that, of course, written by Ed Brubaker. That is straightforward. He writes the scripts. He's the one who directs the story is basically, you know, deciding where everything goes. Um, Penciling. Steve Epting, Michael Lark. Uh, penciling is the person who goes and draws like the um, the outline, right? Of like all like basically draws it, but without the coloring and and all of that stuff. Like draws the pictures. Right. If you can find some penciling examples, mm-hmm. you can really get an idea of what inkers do. They really add a lot of yeah. shading and depth 
you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, pencilers are generally, they lay down the initial page layout and they do the, like I say, that you cannot downplay what inkers do, but pencilers really lay mm-hmm. all of the foundation that the inkers and the colorists bring out. And they add like more nuance to what the penciler has put down. They'll bring in those like layers and dimension to it. So they do add a lot to that artwork. No, absolutely. Um, Mm -hmm. The right inker and colorer can absolutely make or break otherwise awesome pencils. And they can sometimes salvage really bad ones. Um, There's (laughs) plenty of anecdotes mixed in here. Um, I will say in this case, from what I can tell, both Epting and Lark are illustrators, uh, is Mm -hmm. how they're billed, which makes me feel like they're probably penciling and inking their own pencils. Um, And for the record, inking Mm -hmm. is usually digital now. Like it's not actually done with Mm -hmm. ink anymore, but we're still, that's the job they do is so we haven't lost, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, that nomenclature. But a lot of times when you get an illustrator instead of a pencil, it's either they drew it digitally Mm -hmm. initially, you know, inked or they inked their own pencils. And it seems like that's what we have here. And the letterer, let's not forget, is the one that goes in and puts in everything that's inside the speech bubbles, which is also like there's an incredible amount of art and artistry that goes into that when you're talking about um, how the letterer, you know, I'm sure the emphasized words are probably dictated by the the script writer. Um, But still, like there's emphasis on certain words. Sometimes there can be uh, different kinds of font work, especially like Sandman. I've noticed a lot of that going on. When certain characters are speaking, the way that they are lettered is actually different. So it gives you a sense of their um, of their voice and intonation and all of that. So there is there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of creativity going along. And I think the reason why, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason why the art needs to be split among all of these people is because we're on a timeline, and that kind of art requires a lot of time. So if if somebody comes in and you know they pencil it, then while they while somebody else inks and colors and does all that kind of stuff, they can then pencil and, and arrange the next one. Yeah, you that's know? exactly so right. So they can then do that. It's just the timeline on on comics is so tight that you have to have a number of people doing all of this artwork. It's just too much work to get done in that time frame. That is 100% true even now today in yeah. serialized mm-hmm. superhero comics. A lot of times when you have something that's coming out um, more episodically or you have an indie mm-hmm. comic that is that only comes out when they're done, you know, with all of it. Yeah. Those duties will still be split up because the skills are just different. Like everybody who can yeah. pencil is not necessarily everyone who can ink, you know, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll still see that split up even in more um, episodic or more self-contained stories. But absolutely mm-hmm. the splitting up of duties originally started with superhero comics because they've got to put out somewhere between 22 and 30 pages every 30 days. And I'm led to believe the average comic book page takes about a day to draw. So. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, they're they're sort of always laying track while the train's moving. Exactly. All right. So now that we have laid our own track so that we understand (laughs) all of the things, we're not going to have this discussion in every episode. We are going to get into the individual story that we're talking about. The individual story that we are talking about this week, what do we have? And if nothing else, friends, this is the moment where you can make sure you've got the right volume, because if this makes no sense to you, you read the wrong issue. (laughs) 
In Out of Time, we begin with a flashback to five years ago, which, to be clear, would have been the year 2000, where we are introduced to Russian General Alexander Lukin, who is surviving the fall of the Soviet Union by getting the heck out of Dodge with all kinds of experimental weaponry and technology. But not before he shoots the then-current Red Guardian in the head and tries to sell some of the high-tech gizmos to noted Nazi shithead, the Red Skull. The Red Skull sees a person floating in a vat, and he is very interested in purchasing that item, but Lucan isn't having it, unless Skull is willing to trade the reality-altering, wish-granting device known as the Cosmic Cube. The Skull doesn't have the cube, but also says it'd be a cold day in hell before he traded it for anything. Flash to the present, that is, 2005, where the Red Skull has pieced together a new cube from shards of previous versions. It's depowered, but the Red Skull has plans to murder a bunch of people in several cities in order to power it up. He's in Manhattan so he can watch Captain America watch his hometown go down in flames before the Skull uses the cube to take over reality. Skull feels that Cap is in a dark place because of everything that's recently happened, including the death of Clint, Hawkeye, Barton, good riddance, and the disassembling of the Avengers. Cut to Sharon, Agent 13 Carter visiting Steve, where we discover she has something in common with Red Skull. She thinks Steve should maybe find some chill before things get worse. <laughs> We flash back to a week previously where Steve went a little too ham on some AIM-affiliated terrorists. Sharon points out this is exactly the problem, and Steve is a wise-ass and then talks about nightmares because he is extremely mentally healthy. Obviously. <laughs> Steve sees Sharon off without her benching him for some reason, and we realize the Red Skull is spying on Steve and doing so from literally a foot and a half away sometimes. We cut to the Skull, musing over his impending triumph. He receives a phone call from Lucan, who is offering to purchase the unpowered cube. Skull scoffs, and the two of them swing their respective manhoods around for a minute before someone shoots the Skull dead, takes the cube, and reports to Lucan that the job is done. Oh my god. There's so much to talk about in this <laughs> in this issue. Um, and I have to say, Josh, it's not that I don't trust you. Um, it's, but it's just that like, you know, here we are, we're going into this comic and I just wanted to go into it like, you know, with an open mind that I wasn't going into it expecting anything from mm -hmm. the first issue that were, you know, I knew that we were going to read this whole run and that the whole run itself was going to be great. But I, I was kind of like, well, sometimes things are only awesome when you've turned that last page and everything kind of flits into place and you realize how awesome it is. So my expectations for the first issue were just that it was going to be the first issue of a story that I'm sure was going to be great because I trusted you on that. But holy shit, <laughs> by the end of this issue, I mean, I was so so like I'm reading it and I'm like, okay, here we are. We're doing this thing. Uh, the Red Guardian person, I didn't know who that was. So I was like, it just is a person that that he killed, you know, um, that Lucan killed in the opening. And I'm like, okay, we have Lucan who's kind of interesting. We're gonna talk about that in a little bit. Um, but there's there's so much stuff you know, like going on here. And I'm like, yeah, this is pretty standard. And then we get to that last bit and all of my expectations, which, you know, we're not that high are completely blown out of the water. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> we're doing something completely different here. And I have to say, like, I texted you and I was all caps texting. I was like, oh my God. And, and Joshua guys was, was, loving it. He was texting back and with all these gifts of joy um, because he knew he'd gotten me. Oh, yeah. So um, this is, of course, my first time reading this. I didn't know what to expect. Um, and I really I think that the first um, the first issue here is incredibly strong. Now, you've read it before. So when we're talking about response, responding just to this issue, I mean, what are your what are your feelings on that? 
Yeah, this is only the third time that I've read this um, since yeah. 2005 or so, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I did know that things were going to pop off hard and I knew it would mostly yeah. be on the last page. So <laughs> it is weird yeah. to talk about my expectations for a single issue. Um, I think that this one does a phenomenal job at mm -hmm. hooking you, but it really does it in a very specific genre way, which we will get a little more into as we talk. And just yeah. as a, mm -hmm. a look behind the curtain for uh, for our listeners, the other series that we're going to cover this season is another big favorite of mine. But as far as first issues go, it could not be more different than this one. <sighs> Like it's, you well, think there's a lot going on in this one. Wait until you see the first issue of JLA. It's all just madness and day clow. And look, here's the president and here's the old JLA. And here's this like right away. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And so a lot does mm -hmm. happen in this issue, but it's also like sort of a lot adjusted for the genre approach, you know? And yeah. so I was waiting for you. I was like, it'll be fine. Lonnie, <laughs> Lonnie loves a slow burn. This is going to, this is going to punch her in the feels in some ways that she uh -huh. loves from the MCU. It's fine. And then, so I was not horribly shocked when I got the all caps text <laughs> message from the last page. Yeah, it was it was pretty great. And what's so fun, too, about this season um, and doing this new show is that, like, you know, traditionally we've been talking about Marvel stuff and I've been getting a lot of Marvel background. And here we are opening with Marvel and Captain America. Um, but yeah, for the next thing that we're going to do after this, which is going to be a part of our, I don't know what we're planning now, 11 episodes Should of be about season 11, yeah. one of In the Gutter, <laughs> right? Um, is we're moving into a DC story, which I think is going to be really fun because I've always had this sort of idea about what the difference is between DC and Marvel. And it is so unbelievably uninformed, you know? And, and now the only DC stuff that I've read has been the Vertigo stuff, which, you know, was launched under Karen Berger and is is just different, like yes. a different kind of feel from like your classic, you know, uh, DC stuff. I'm very excited to be reading that. And now, but starting with Captain America, a character that I love um, in this space uh, from a writer who seems to me to be very assured um, in his in his capabilities here, like I'm I'm really looking forward. I've never read anything by Ed Brubaker. I've never engaged with any of this, um, but I'm really enjoying just being in this in this comic space. I've I've learned so much doing the Sandman podcast about um, how incredibly powerful this medium is and how often it gets just kind of dismissed. So I, I I'm just really excited about it. I I am also excited. I mean any of our listeners that have followed us from Listen Up A-Holes know that a lot of my frustration with the MCU is not that the MCU is necessarily doing anything badly. It's just that mm -hmm. I know their source material. So a lot of times when something comes in kind of at a B minus C plus level, I'm like, but you were borrowing from A plus stuff, you know? And you yeah. heard that enough for me that I'm excited to bring you into this A plus stuff and be able to kind of ride on your shoulder with it because... All of these stories are going on in the midst of a much larger story. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, you don't know about Avengers disassembled. You didn't know Hawkeye <laughs> was kind of dead. I mean, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so I'm glad I'm here to like kind of yeah. kind of spackle over that stuff so that we can really focus on how good the story is. Because you're absolutely right. Brubaker is a very sure hand as a writer. Um, you won't be surprised to know. Largely became known outside of superhero stuff for crime and espionage thrillers. So, Ooh, yeah, I mean, which you can see mm -hmm. the DNA for the espionage thriller is all over his run on Cap. 
things that we uh, like to do over on, I, I keep talking about the Sandman podcast, but that is where I've been learning all about this stuff, um, is, is kind of talk about the cover art. And I'm, you know, again, I'm a little confused by all of the, <laughs> the cover art and what, cause it's just like an image you know, that has like the body outline and the number one on it. And I'm grateful for that because like I have, you know, the number one, I, you know, oh, no, 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 no. Because that's an inter, yeah, that's a different thing. Okay. Forget it. Sorry. Let me, no, let me no, start no. this over again. No, keep it in because you're literally Why? going to be the audience. I'm so viewpoint. confused. Right. Okay. Yes. I'm the All audience right. viewpoint, but I'm also like much, much more easily confused because there's that one. I was like, yeah, there's the one that has like the little outline of the body on it, but the cover art itself, is this the last page? Is that supposed to be the, because that's the one where we have the the shot of um or we have the image of red skull murdered body splayed it's got a pool of his own blood everything is black except for the circle of light on the body um his head is at the bottom of the circle there's blood pooling around him it's almost black it's almost more shadow than blood it's this very like incredibly like visceral image that feels like a cover image and it has out of time on it but it's also the last page so does that count that's not the cover image is it That's the, cover the title image? page. It's the title page, but, but here's it's on the, the thing. last page of the thing. I comics are confusing me, Joshua. I'm usually, so confused. And, oh, and usually is doing a lot of heavy lifting when I say this. Yeah. But usually your title page would come at the front of the book. You'd get like the masthead. Right, you might get a little yeah. like, you know, bitten by a radioactive spider or frozen in the ice of 19. Which can sometimes come after like a cold open. Right. So it can. Right. So that's a title page. What's in, the, uh, do we, in do this we have case, a cover? In this case, I feel like Brew wanted us to... Uh, yeah, we're pals, so I'm just yeah. going to say Brew. Uh, I feel oh, like Brew Baker Brew, wanted yeah. to start us off running, right? Mm -hmm. So we are going to mm -hmm. just start with a scene and yeah. not worry about the title page. And so he does the title page at the end on what is the mm -hmm. most shocking image of the book, right? And yeah, and what is the, basically the we're not fucking around image? This yes. is the image where you're like, okay, we did not come here to play. We are really doing something here. And here is that moment where you can pause on the dead body of the person that was set up this whole issue to be the antagonist. Really interesting. But the actual cover, and I don't want to well actually this because what I'm what no, I'm saying is do. it's confusing yeah. depending on which collection you're reading also because sometimes that's true they will use the cover to break up the individual issues sometimes they will put right. all the covers at the end so that the story's not broken up but you still get access to that art because the covers are almost always beautiful right and in right yeah. in this case i'm going to hold it up for you this is the actual yes. cover which i will describe okay. to our listeners so it's a it's an Epting cover, so it's very much mm -hmm. of the style of the interior, which not every comic book does that. Uh, sometimes yeah. you'll mm -hmm. have a very different artist on the cover than than on the mm -hmm. interiors, but in this yes. case, it's mm -hmm. it's Epting all the way. Um, it's Captain America in the sort of extreme foreground, running directly at your face. In the mm -hmm. background, the kind of extreme background, you've got New York City and helicopters and jets and a helicarrier. And in the midground, you have Agent 13. Of course, she's going to be a mm -hmm. big deal throughout this whole run. And you also have Nick Fury for some reason. I mean, he is going to be yeah. around, but he's not in the first issue. So it's like, all right, I guess it's going to be espionage. Well, we talked about S.H.I.E.L.D. a little bit. And is mm -hmm. Nick Fury the head of S.H.I.E.L.D.? And yes. so there's 
Yeah. Yeah. So there's some of that. Um, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I had trouble identifying, and this is because I'm I'm reading it um, digitally um, in the the version because you sent me a link, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, I am getting this. <laughs> because I don't trust myself to go and buy something anywhere else if it is not the link that Joshua sent me. So I got that. Um, and I'm reading online and that's fine. So we have these like interstitial images because, okay, the, now that being, that is the cover for the the big book. That's also, also for the cover one. for the first issue. Yes. All right. So we're using the cover for first issue to be the cover for the big book. And then there's these like little interstitials that will have the volume or the is- issue number on them. There'll be like one. And so that was just the body outline. There was just a, a, you know, chalk outline of a body, basically the blue and the red and all that kind of stuff. It's it's not that in-depth an image. You know, it right. feels like an interstitial image as opposed to something that is is really evocative of story and place and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we have some of those throughout. Um, so I guess I'm going to try to find where the cover but i will say that like the image that spoke to me the most in this read was that final page that oh, final yeah. title page that feels like a cover image to me but of course would be full of spoilers right were it the actual cover art so yes really interesting Everything is confusing me. Like, I was confused when we went into Sandman, and then eventually I got it, and it has a system, and I understand the system. This is hodgepodge all over the place. I don't understand, um, like, what the system is, but the story itself and the art itself, I'm, like, I'm completely in, totally engaged. I think the artwork here is really interesting. It is very, um, it's very smooth. It feels very polished to me. Um, it feels like exactly what I'd expect from a superhero story, but the colors feel slightly muted. They're a oh, little yeah. less bright than I would expect. There's a darkness that is just encroaching on almost all of it. Um, it's not in your face noirish, but it leaves me with the feeling that I am in like a darker world, mm-hmm. uh, slightly. Gr- it it doesn't like dive too deep into like a grunge space because it's still got this very clean, very polished kind of look to it. Um, but I definitely feel from the art that there is a darkness, there is a grown up dark world that we're about to go into. Um, how, does that make sense as far yeah. as like the art goes? Like, what did what do you pull from this? The only thing that you said that does not make sense to me is that this is what you expect the average superhero comic to look like because there's not enough color in here. At I all. think yeah, no, I think what I expect from a superhero story is that everything is is very um I don't want to say in your face, but it is right here. It Saturated. is doing its thing. It's got the red <laughs> and the yeah, like it's less the the colors are more muted, but they are the colors. They're the red. They're the yes. blue. You know, they're the they're kind of like those those classic superhero. You know, popping off of the American flag type colors. Um, so we are using those colors. It is very red and very blue, but it is also like less saturated, more muted. There's more darkness. Um, you know, and and. So so I, I found that like an interesting kind of, but it also has a very polished art look. You know? I think when you say polished, um, let me yeah. see if I get where you're coming from. So yeah. I would describe Epting as a photorealistic artist. That's, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not, mm-hmm. yeah. It, there are certainly uh, artists who are even more 
you know, photorealistic. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I would say very realistic. Uh, even uh, Steve is a big guy, but he's not like, you know, cartoonishly mm-hmm. large or something like that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. The red skull is, of course, like hideous to look at, but he is not like yeah. a bright red. It's more hideous mm-hmm. in the the cragginess, you know, of it. Um, yeah. And from having said that Brubaker really is most well-known outside of superhero stuff for crime thrillers and espionage thrillers. And he wanted to do a cold war, mm-hmm. what felt like a cold war espionage story with Captain America. Yeah. This is the mm-hmm. perfect art for that. This is great mm-hmm. for that. And and also coloring as, as both at the pencil yeah. ink and coloring level, because it is dark. It is murky. It is a mm-hmm. bright shining Sentinel of Liberty ostensibly who is inhabiting uh-huh. a darker space than he mm-hmm. usually does or where he's entirely comfortable being, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if I have one sort of complaint about Epting stuff, and this is actually an issue I have with a lot of photorealistic uh, mm-hmm. artists who do superhero stuff, is that the action does not have as much life and movement in it as I would prefer. Right. Um, right. Mm-hmm. And and that's a little bit the realism. And it also just seems like the people who draw more and listen, I love Epting. Nobody at me over this. I'm just saying in comparison to mm-hmm. a Howard Porter, like we're going to see in JLA or going back further to like, if you can find uh, uh, Kirby Captain America stuff, you mm-hmm. know, it's just a much less stiff, you know, the photorealistic yeah. people tend to be a little stiff when it comes to the action. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of reaction shots in this story and a lot of face acting. And for that, Epting is A++ mm-hmm. perfect. So excellent artistic choices all the way down as far as I'm concerned for the the tone and feel of this story. Yeah, I think it's really neat. And yeah, when I when I say polished, I think that is it, it almost feels um, glossy to me. You know, like yeah. it almost feels like there's, and the thing is, is that, you know, I'm coming from my, my first real deep read of comics has come from, of course, Sandman, mm-hmm. which, and I know, and as I've talked about in the Sandman podcast, like I know nothing about art. So when I talk, like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just giving like the impressions of somebody who doesn't know anything about art that, uh, that the Sandman art is, um, is much more, it feels more impressionistic to me, I want to say, yeah. but I know that impressionism yeah. is a particular thing. And I don't think that I'm talking about anything that you would actually learn but it feels to me like it it comes from this this place of metaphor and myth and um and it has sort of these uh the edges are not as sharply defined Mm -hmm. in the sandman art beautiful art like i'm not saying anything bad about either of the arts just different art styles here all the edges are very clearly defined yes you know and i feel like there's a lot of definition to this that i that i'm not used to because i've been reading sandman almost exclusively as far as comic books go um so i'm finding that really really interesting and i do i like the way and that's where like it doesn't feel terribly grungy to me the way that 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 kind of darkness Mm. does it's a really interesting combination of visual flavors here that i haven't seen a lot of um, and I'm really enjoying that. I think that it's it's grabbing me and I'm definitely um, into whatever this story is putting down. Um, but let's go ahead and talk about the story now, because here we are, you know, um, we've, we've gone through the art and all of this kind of stuff. Um, what what are you getting from this issue, this story? Well, I mean, at the highest level, again, listeners mm-hmm. who followed us from Listen Up A-Holes know that I am a big fan of spy-fi, which is basically right. espionage stuff with science fiction elements. Um, mm-hmm. And 
that's this is a spy fi story like there's a cosmic mm-hmm. cube in it you know there is a yeah. person in a tank with a robot arm and i mean you know it's mm-hmm. clearly not a standard mid-70s espionage thriller no matter how it looks which is kind of how right. it looks to me you know um so it's got all of that spy fi elements but they they're kind of like yeah but be chill about it right um <laughs> i would my general taste run more to something like man from uncle or the british avengers but mm-hmm. this looks like John Le Carre wrote a superhero story, and I <laughs> would be a fool to say that that's a uh-huh. bad idea, you know? Well, it's funny because, like, you come from – I haven't read that many, like, yeah. of those superhero stories. So, for me, like, this is my, like, f- probably – Aside from you had me read like the Mighty Thor at one mm-hmm. point, all of the comics that you told me to read all throughout Listen Up Ales, I never read any of them. Um, <laughs> we you know, were busy I will, people. I will, I, will, I will cop to that. I will <laughs> cop to that. Um, so for my first experience, you know, I'm uh, this is my first experience, like really of of true superhero comics of actually getting into it. Um, so like my you know expectations are are not set. This is setting the expectation for me. So it's going to be really interesting. I'm to compare it to. But as we move into different kinds of stories, like I'm really interested in going to the DC side and the JLA stuff. And it's going to be crazy. <laughs> I can't wait to see. <laughs> I cannot. W- Honestly, this is all going to be great. These stories are great. But also mm-hmm. these preliminary conversations as you see the sort of uh, length and breadth of art style and writing style and story style that you can get in what is honestly, I mean, superheroes just as a concept, mm-hmm. pretty narrow. If you until yeah. you start adding, well, now it's a superhero spy story. Now it's a superhero fantasy story. Now it's a pure superhero story. What exactly does that mean? I mean, you know, um, yeah. So yeah, we're I am on some levels setting a baseline so that I can blow it up later. I'm very excited about that. But I love I love that this is kind of a like I love fusion stories where you're yeah. taking genres and you're sort of smashing them together and seeing what comes out of that. Um so I'm very interested in in seeing how the the fusion of all of these different kinds of stories sort of pulls together um in this particular one. Um but one of the things though that like you know I thought was just amazing um is this setup within the story for who our antagonist is going to be. Oh, right? yeah. We go through this whole thing and it's just, we open up with, uh, with you know, Lucan, right? Who is kind of interesting because mm-hmm. here they are, they're being invaded, you know, by this Red Guardian character who I didn't know who it was. It was just a guy in a suit. And he got, Here, the he short got version is he is yeah. Russia's response to Captain America. Awesome. There have okay, been okay. several of them. Over time, but that's the the short version is if you see a Red Guardian, the roots are Russia looked at Captain America and was like, well, we should do we that. Want one of those. Why don't right. we do that? Exactly. Exactly. All right. So we have this, you know, Russian Captain America comes in. He's going to arrest General Lucan. General Lucan is clearly, you know, he hangs out with bad company. You know, <laughs> he kills the guy. Um, the guy's like, I'm here for Boris Yeltsin. And then the guy has clearly been through some shit because by the time he gets there, he's already on his last leg. So yeah. Lucan like kills him without a second thought, but then says, you know, bury him honorably, treat him like he's one of our men. And so instantly within the first few pages, you're getting this sense of this guy as being a, a complicated 
bad guy. He's clearly a bad guy, Mm -hmm. but he's a complicated bad guy. Um, And he has a sense of right and wrong. It may not match everybody else's, but he does have one. There are things that are right and like, yeah, I'll murder the guy, but I'm going to bury him with honor. Like that kind of thing is an interesting, really crunchy thing. Then we go into, he's talking to Red Skull. You know, and Red Skull is just evil for evil's sake, like just bad, not concerned with anything. He's like, I'm going to enjoy watching you torture this guy. He's like, I am not going to enjoy it. And Lucan is clearly not impressed with that shit, you know, and he doesn't torture the guy. He kills him outright, which, you know, in a circumstance like that can be seen, especially through as an act of pity rather than, you know, torturing this guy and putting him through all this stuff. We'll just kill him and end it and and all that kind of stuff. Um, So you see this complete contrast and then it feels like Lucan just hands the baton over to Red Skull who will be waving it Oh, throughout the rest of the story, just like, this is the antagonist's baton. I have it. And all I'm doing is obsessing over Steve Rogers. And I've got, you know, people who are watching him all the time. I know where he is all the time. And I just want him dead. He is villain monologuing through the whole thing so hard that honestly, I forgot about the interesting layered dimensional character of Lucan because I thought that was just our opening character and, you know, whatever. So, so you know, we go in, we spend some time with Steve. We see that Steve is is handling some trauma, which is, I also think, really interesting. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, and, you know, and he's walking through all of this stuff and he's in this, you know, uh, this like fake house that is has a... Yeah. Uh, hologram over it so it looks dumpy but inside it's where steve rogers lives and he's just trying to figure out his life he's lost bucky he's lost all these people he lives in the 40s which is where the source of his trauma was um and that is a a very real experience when you are experiencing trauma you live in that space time does not go by you still live there and when you go back you revisit it in that moment um so i loved all of that um but then you know, we're going through all this stuff. We go back to Red Skull. Red Skull is, is continuing to villain monologue. It's, to you know, no five one. years after. To yeah. himself. To no one. He's just obsessed with Steve. And then he's, you know, there's this really interesting part where he's like, well, who are we without each other? And you're, And I'm thinking, oh, by the end of it, you know, they're going to lose each other. And we're setting that up. And then boom, done. Red Skull on the ground, bleeding out, dead, dead, dead. And Lucan is the one who's standing there like, yeah, we're going to be doing this my way. And it felt to me like a meta commentary on that kind of villain as well. This like evil monologuing, taking up all the space in the room villain. When you make room for a villain or an antagonist, not necessarily the same thing, um, who will um, will have that that crunchy layered dimension while still pushing against our hero you know or protagonist again also not necessarily the same thing so um (laughs) yeah i just i i loved it i was so in love with it at the end when that happened because i would have i would have ridden with red skull and been like okay let's see where this goes um but the fact that he came in and just shot him dead in the middle of villain monologuing i loved it yeah, so generally speaking, I feel like superhero stories should be pretty broad, right? I yeah. do not mm-hmm. have a problem with uh, bad for badness's sake or evil for evil- sure. evilness's sake sure. in yeah. these types of stories. Mostly because mm-hmm. anyone who's heard me talk about this stuff has heard me say, like, I want superhero stories 
externalize the hero's internal conflicts, right? Because this Mm -hmm. is a story Mm -hmm. that needs to tell its story punching. So I want them to be torn up on the inside and then that thing that's tearing them up to be embodied in this villain that they can punch, right? Um, But... I, I, I'm with you. Like a more nuanced villain is more interesting. And so I'm this whole like you start the book and you think that uh, Lucan is going to be like a window into the Red Skull. And then it turns around mm-hmm. and Red Skull is actually a window into Lucan. And mm-hmm. and I am extra good with that in this situation, both because I know Skull is not as far outside of this story as you might mm-hmm. think at the last page. Right. I'm going to leave that hanging <laughs> for the moment. But the other part is that, like, and and let me say, this is actually a moment I'll put a small trigger warning, because we are going to have to talk about Nazis. And so yes. if you do not want mm-hmm. to hear discussion of Nazis, this may not be the best issue. This right. is, this is may a not moment be, for you to, to make a choice. It, yeah. It's a choice, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In this case, though, we got to remember, Red Skull is a top-to-bottom Nazi. And I... Yeah. Do not, I mean, under any circumstances, want those fucks humanized in a story anymore. Punch them in yeah. real life. Punch them whenever you see them and then punch them because they made your knuckles hurt. Yeah. I don't <laughs> want a nuanced Nazi villain. Fuck exactly. all that noise. Exactly. So mm-hmm. we set them up because we can't do a sort of seminal Captain America thing without Red Skull. But then we mm-hmm. shuffle him off to the to the rafters for a bit uh, and Mm -hmm. his touch will be felt as we go, but he Mm -hmm. is clearly not going to be the focus of this nuanced espionage thriller for that. We need Lucan, a man who considers himself the last good Russian, you know? Right. Yeah. And that he feels like he has, you know, a a mission, like, you know, he believes in something, he believes in what he's doing and that's why he's doing it. Um, Generally, like overall, generally, I'm usually going to prefer a more nuanced villain over somebody like Red Skull. That said, I know enough about comic stories to know what to expect Mm -hmm, there. And mm -hmm. having somebody like that, who again, is, you know, representative of something, you know, who is is, you know, yes, evil for evil's sake, you know, fine. But also, like, there's there's much more going on in that commentary. And yes, I'm not interested in humanizing any Nazis. So yeah. if we have somebody who is a villain, who is a Nazi, then I am going to ride with that person being just all bad. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm fine with that. And, and, and the thing is, is that narratively, that also works. Narratively, evil for evil's sake is not a problem. You know, as far as, like, putting together a story and making it work, what you need is you need an antagonist who is blocking a protagonist from getting what they want and in the end a winner has to be decided that's you know to make it work narratively that's all you need um but overall generally i like um an antagonist that makes me love them a little bit that makes me feel a little internal conflict about how i feel about that antagonist see spike from buffy so um So for me to be able to see someone who is so clearly bad, I mean, let's not forget in the very opening, Lucan has a human person sitting in (laughs) suspension in a tube. Right. Like this is not Not a good good dude. dude. Yeah. yeah. In no way (laughs) is this a good dude, but he is really interesting in that he believes in something and that he does have a sense of what is right and wrong. He does have a sense of mercy, Mm -hmm. you know, and that he's not going to make this guy suffer and he's not going to enjoy torturing anybody. Like all of that, I think is really, really interesting. 
interesting. And we have, you know, like Red Skull there practically drooling at the idea of torture as a nice, you know, kind of foil for what we're going to end up with Lucan. So um, I absolutely love all of it. I was going to ride with Red Skull, but I love it. I think this is really interesting and very unexpected, you know, to me. I think I can actually bring up a theme that I think we're going to see play out in different ways throughout a lot of this Mm -hmm. story that will give a little nuance to Red Skull in terms of the story, not as a character, but in terms of what he is to other major players in it. Mm -hmm. Because if we look at Luke and we'll start with him, he says himself, I'm all that's left of the true mother Russia, right? He's Mm -hmm. convinced that the end of the USSR is a huge sort of moral failing of his nation and his people, right? Red Skull not, sadly, the last Nazi fuckhead, but he is the apotheosis of Nazi fuckheads, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And we have Captain America, an ostensible sentinel of liberty, right? So these are our three guys, last of Russia, uh, the apotheosis of Nazi jerks, and a sentinel Mm -hmm. of liberty, you know, uh, flag, what is it? Yeah. Star-spangled man with a plan, right? But -hmm. the USSR was not a grand execution of Marx's idea. Hell, it wasn't even really great based on Lenin's. <laughs> and while the Nazi ethos is sadly still alive and well in the world, I would bet you that Red Skull does not consider toothless crackers as his people, regardless <laughs> of how many swastikas they have tattooed on them. And let's mm-hmm. be honest, if you grant, if you grant that Cap is part of the greatest generation who fought the last good war, which I think is a bit of a stretch, historically speaking. (laughs) But even Mm -hmm. if you grant that, he's still living in modern America, which is fundamentally corrupt and feckless and based in white supremacist ideology more than they would like to admit, considering there's a Nazi standing right over there. And it's colonial, (laughs) if not fully imperial expansionist. I mean, all three of these men fight for ideals that were tarnished the day they got handed to them and are even worse off today. And... That's not accidental. Like that's Uh that grit is going to be we're going to be faced with that constantly from these three characters. Yeah, I mean, I love it because when we talk about Cab, you know, here we have Cab and he is representative of that like deep down home American goodness. And once again, I completely, totally cosign and rubber stamp, uh, you know, your argument that that was (laughs) fucked when we got it. It's, you know, it's, that com- that it's complicated. It's complicated yeah. in a way mm-hmm. that that not all Americans are comfortable with it being complicated and pointing yeah. to him as, mm-hmm. like I say, great ge- greatest generation, last good war. Yeah, that's a very uncomplicated look at what ought to be more complicated is, stuff. Exactly. But then what we get here in Cap is extremely complicated. Yes. You know, like yes. we open up with Sharon coming to see him being like, what the fuck, dude? You know, <laughs> like you, you, you know, like he's like, I did my job, you know, yeah. but he did it in a way that was, um, that like was clearly not okay. And especially because we have that contrast, right? Here we have kind of a cap reflection of mm-hmm. Red Skull, not of Lucan, right? Of like, he's kind of enjoying tearing the shit out of these guys and maybe doing his job a little bit too much and getting yes. a little bit too into it. Um, which of course is a, is a clearly like a trauma response for him, you know, mm-hmm. because he's, mm-hmm. he's very traumatized. And I got to tell you, I love that we're having him process his trauma. But, you know, going back to to your point, here we have Cap who is behaving 
in like, you know, kind of a a on the on the ride to Red Skull. Like we're talking about Cap on yeah. a spectrum at one end and Red Skull at the other. Cap's moving a little bit more toward the middle. It's true. I, I actually really like that bit, actually, that he mm-hmm. is overly brutal. That he treats, mm-hmm. I mean, these are terrorists and they're trying to set off a yeah. dirty bomb in Coney Island. Uh, I'm not saying buy right. him a cookie, but <laughs> you have Agent 13 going, yeah, it's a little much, Steve. Mm-hmm. And while th- there are some, there are some complicated ethical and moral conversations to be had about the superhero concept and how superheroes act in stories. And I feel like a lot of the time, these are friggin' cartoon characters for kids. Like they're not going to hold it up. Mm-hmm. They're not going to hold it up. Right. But if we're going to look at it, I really like setting a baseline of cap is too brutal. And that is a red flag instead of yes. it being systems normal. You know, um, right. it's and, come and up. This is a trope were, that comes up yeah. now and then. They used it on Batman after the second Robin died. Like, that's how people mm-hmm. knew there was a problem. He was way over the... Like, we watch Captain America and Batman beat people up on every page every month. Yeah. It's worthwhile, I think, because we want them to still be heroic characters. It's worthwhile that when they do kind of, like, put a toe over the line that somebody goes, you're not okay. I love this. Yes. Well, and we had that complaint often in our MCU podcast. Yes. That like people are doing these things and they're saying that because the the reason why they're doing them means that they have license to do them in whatever manner they want. And they're still the good guy. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is that, no, that's not true. And Mm -hmm. that we're willing in here to shine a spotlight on that while we're processing um his his trauma which by the way hello to that i knew um, you would love it i knew you would I love it <laughs> love it because what we do is we put our characters in a lot of these kinds of stories through just unbelievable shit and then they bounce back and they're just fine and they're ready to fight another day and you're like no you just went through a thing you know um so we've got steve He's suffering. He is living in 1944, where he lost Bucky, where he lost people, where there were people that he couldn't save. Um, And he is really feeling that trauma. And I mean, honestly, to see characters processing their trauma in fiction is more important now than it has ever been. But it's always been important. And we don't do it enough. Because what we do is like in stories where people go through all these terrible things, and then they're fine, that that is is reinforcing a message of you know if you were tougher if you were better if you were cap you could handle it when you, we think about our own trauma when we see our heroes processing trauma that opens up a space for us to be like okay i went through a thing and i know what steve's talking about when he says he lives yes. in that moment that it, yes. he hasn't left it yet because that's what trauma does you have a flashback you are not in the moment now you are in the moment then you are reliving that experience and it's it takes time and it takes fucking therapy and it takes everything to like walk through that, understand it and process that trauma. And when we see these characters, we put our characters through so much because that's what makes good fiction. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. we don't often do the cleanup on the back end, which is, yeah, I've put this character through this, like as writers, you know, I put this character through this. Now I have to work through what I put this character through um, because that is also so part of what that story is. Um, 
So as soon as we have Steve there talking to Sharon about his trauma and showing that overreaction, I mean, I had a therapist who told me once that when people overreact to something, that is a trauma flag. That means that there is trauma there. Um, And it's one of those things that, you know, I was saying I had this reaction to something and I don't understand why I reacted this way. It's so over the top. It's more. And I was holding that on me. Like, I can't behave. Like, I don't know how to behave. Like, this is, you know, she's like, no, it's a trauma trigger. And she explained the whole thing to me. And I was like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense, you know? Um, And so to have that, like, actually laid out in the fiction um, is so incredibly meaningful to me. So, like, that in addition, like, you know, here we've got this you know, more nuanced villain and and Red Skull getting shot in the middle of a villain monologue. And then we've got <laughs> Cat processing his trauma. It was like this issue was made specifically to delight me. And I absolutely love all of this stuff that we're doing. I have my reservations about Sharon, though. Oh, tell me. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Sharon. I think that Sharon as a character in and of herself is fine. But there is something <laughs> about her being Peggy's niece. That feels to me like we are replacing Peggy. Like Peggy was Peggy. Peggy was back in the 40s. Peggy is in the past. We got to move on from that. Cap's got to move on from that. Totally get it. By making the girlfriend, and this is, they've broken up at this point. So they've kind of gone through that process. But by making the girlfriend her niece, it just feels like we're just, she's just as good as Peggy. Shut up. That's what it feels like to me. Rather than processing the fact that Peggy cannot be replaced. Cap is allowed to move on, but Peggy cannot be replaced. And there's something about her being her niece that just bugs me. Aside from that, Agent 13, Sharon, she's fine. Like, I got no problems with her. It is purely that conceptual space where I'm like, don't tell me that she's just as good as Peggy because her last name is Carter. She is not, you know. This is interesting because <laughs> because on page on page Steve has so much more history with mm-hmm. Sharon than he ever had with Peggy. And honestly, oh, some of the stuff I've that I've seen the shows. You've seen the shows, you've right. seen the movies, right? And so much of what was done with Sharon is uh in the comics is yeah. fed backwards to Peggy in the movies. (gasps) Not necessarily like in a one-to-one, but they just, that that, that level of competency and how important Peggy is. Like she was a love interest Mm -hmm. in those uh, wartime Cap comics. But I mean, Mm -hmm. they were wartime Cap comics. Like they were, it was Mm -hmm. the 40s and they were being shipped to GIs and it was written by Mm -hmm. two guys, two guys who had invented romance comics, but nevertheless, still two men, right? Mm -hmm. So she basically, Peggy was just like sort of elevated to the point that it made any sense for her to be on the battlefield with Cap, right? Like she's great and important, but I mean, as far as the amount of screen time page time Mm -hmm. that we get it's Sharon all day and let me tell you so interesting let me tell you a thing that'll make you even sicker about this niece business (laughs) remember that originally it was the mid 60s when cap came out of the ice which means it had been all of 20 years which means Mm -hmm. he comes out of the ice still physically you know 23 basically yeah Mm -hmm. and Peggy would only be in her 40s (laughs) <laughs> originally but sharon was her actual her niece not her great mm-hmm. niece right yeah mm-hmm. and that's oh my God. worse <laughs> yeah that is rough. No, it is 
Yeah. It is. But it's so funny, though, because I'm going to be, there are a lot of these presumptions that yeah. I'm going to have based on my experience with the MCU that are not relevant to the story. Um, and that's funny, because as I'm talking about Peggy, I am talking about our Agent Carter yeah. the series, the one, yeah, that is super, super interesting. All right. Well, let me stand corrected on that. No, no, no. Because we are I mean, in a different, but we're in a different your reaction story is space. Your reaction and you bring whatever mm -hmm. you already have with you to it. But that's why I just find that absolutely fascinating. That like, yeah. and, and I think, you know, the comic book t sliding timescale makes it complicated to say. But I mean, I think at this point, however mm -hmm. the time works in fiction, Cap has way more of a relationship with Sharon than he ever had with Peggy, even in the 616 fiction, just because of the sheer amount mm -hmm. of time that he's been an Avenger in the present, as opposed to yeah. the fairly limited amount of time that he, we can't, ex we can only expand right. that wartime stuff so far, right? Like the war went mm -hmm. from here to here. It's not like MASH that was three times right. longer than the actual, you know, Korean, Korean war. war. Right. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So even, it, even with the kind of weirdness of comic book time, yeah, we we try try and get your head around the idea that that Sharon is way more vital to Cap's mythology than Peggy is by far. <laughs> All right. Yes, no, I absolutely will wrap my head around that. And that makes me like it better. That makes me like it better. But anyway, um, so uh, I have questions that I come up with at the end because I'm trying to do this transition <laughs> from everything I know sure. through MCU and all of that stuff. Um, and one of the things that we've referenced here, we've referenced a couple of things. We, we've got a body floating in a solution in a tube. I'm presuming that that is going to be Winter Soldier. I don't want you to spoil that for me, but that is my presumption at this time that that is Bucky. Um, but... The cosmic cube that we are referring to with Red Skull, we have a reference to it a couple of times. I am seeing that as being the Tesseract from the MCU. Is that analogous or is that yes. something else entirely? Okay. The Tesseract mm -hmm. is absolutely the poor man's version of the cosmic cube. Um, oh, okay. Now, mm -hmm. the main reason I say that is that we come to find out that the Tesseract is the space stone but what did we yeah. ever see it used as a battery boring <laughs> not into it the cosmic cube is an eventually sentient not at first but eventually sentient reality altering wish granting machine dude think big guys think big <laughs> battery well, looking forward wish to machine <laughs> Yeah, I've got to get used to the, uh, you know, the always dialed up to 11-ness of, oh, yeah. uh, of comics, of comics. So, okay. So the other thing, um, and I know, I know we talked about AIM. I know we talked about it when we were doing um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on, yeah. uh, on the Listen Up A-Holes podcast. Uh, but I'm going to need a refresher because I'm trying to remember, like, AIM was S.H.I.E.L.D. They're good guys, right? AIM, AIM is us. Oh, good God, no. No, no, very bad. The bad guys. Very okay. bad. All right, very right, right. bad. Okay. All right. This is as Why close as think, we'll get yeah. to a little four color fact kind of okay. feel, right? A little real quick. Yeah, let's do that. Very mm -hmm. short little history lesson. So AIM is advanced idea mechanics. They are a group mm -hmm. of science terrorists who believe in a meritocracy based on scientific brilliance. Mm -hmm. So the better a scientist you are, the more important you are in AIM and in AIM's vision okay. of the future. They're um okay. uh their leader. Well, mm -hmm. they 
they have a leader that you're familiar with. We'll talk about that, Phil, in a minute. But underneath okay. that guy is the scientist supreme. Like, that's what he's called, right? That's okay. AIM. Mm-hmm. Now, they started out as a subdivision of Hydra back during the war. They were created by Baron Strucker to create super advanced weapons for Hydra. But when Hydra mm-hmm. falls, AIM grew beyond that remit. Although Strucker and Hydra sometimes show up and start going, no, but we were here first. You have to work for us. There's a contention there, like that they've grown beyond Uh where they started, but they can't deny where they started, right? Uh Um, AIM is actually pretty decent at their job as science terrorists. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have made at least three very dangerous things, uh, one of them being the original Earthbound Cosmic Cube. Uh, The first Mm -hmm. Cosmic Cube made on Earth was created by AIM. They also created an android called the Super Adaptoid that borrows superheroes' powers. So you just get beat (laughs) up by your own gimmick. Uh And perhaps the pinnacle of their work. They created everyone's favorite mobile organism designed only for killing. (laughs) MODOK is the leader of AIM. Oh my god. All right, I think I got aim confused with maybe is it sword? There's there's a proto shield organization. So the right? SS MCU wise the uh what is it the something scientific reserve. The SSR is the sh- right. proto shield, right? That's the proto shield. That's sword, what I got it confused with. Mm-hmm. Sword in the comics is like shield in space. Sword yeah. in the MCU is Something to do with artificial intelligences and robots. That's why they were involved okay. in WandaVision, right? So they have a very okay. different remit. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to figure out who you might have, uh, uh, you know, gotten twisted around by. But yeah, that's that's the deal. AIM is bad guys all the time. And and they're There's actually, so this is a fun one acronyms. for this. It yeah. is. <laughs> Which, okay, that's, so HYDRA is not an acronym, but they often treat it like it is. Like they put it all yeah. in caps and stuff. Yeah. This is because mm-hmm. the roots of that stuff is in like 60 spy fi where um, oh, you had uncle, U-N-C-L-E. It stands for stuff, right? right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. MI, uh, uh, Mission Impossible Force is, you, you know, IMF, mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's where the roots are. That's why SHIELD, you know, SHIELD is a big, long acronym like right. uncle is 100% mm-hmm. what's going on there. So they have some roots okay. in that. Um, I get confused yeah. by all of these organizations and okay. which one is which. So I'm glad Buckle that up I a asked little bit. about it. Yeah. Buckle mm-hmm. up a little bit because one of the <laughs> things that's going to happen during this story is you're going to see splinter groups of AIM. Because again, okay. this is sort of treading in some realistic espionage area, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea that a once very powerful consolidated terrorist organization would have a massive setback and splinter off because they're cells anyway, right? So Mm -hmm. you're going to see some other splinter organizations connected to AIM that are, you have to ask the question, are they AIM or are they something else entirely? And that's, (laughs) and I mean, we've done that, you know, Uh with the, uh, in our, you know, never ending war on terror. We've, we've literally seen this happen with actual, uh, terrorist organizations. So it's kind of neat, you know, to see that reflected in a really over the top superhero way. So I, I want to ask you something. You have a note in here yes. that I wanted to follow up with you on because I'm curious exactly uh-huh. what you meant. And we've talked a little bit about this because the the differences in history, right, between the MCU right. and the 616. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those playing mm-hmm. at home, the 616 is the mainline Marvel Universe, whatever the hell that means. (laughs) We're just doing our best, friends. Right. And you're absolutely right that there's a lot of MCU history that kind of gets pulled from or borrowed from or Mm -hmm. reimagined, but for from this story, but also, you know, the 616 as a whole. 
But I was curious, when you said that, what specific stuff did you have in mind? Like, what resonances are you really seeing? Other than some of the obvious, there's a Red Skull, there's a Captain America. Well, you know, this is Winter Soldier, right? right. So here we are, we're in this Winter Soldier story. At this point, um, you know, I don't know what happens, but I know that we all believe that Bucky is dead, and so does Cap. Uh, but there is a man in suspension and yada yada. So I think that, like, uh, you know, because the note that I have, which is a ridiculous ridiculous note is hey this is the mcu what are the differences like that isn't <laughs> that's yes. a 14 hour master class in and of itself um but i think that what my main question is is um how i would say give me a percentage of how much the mcu winter soldier story is pulling from this vision by brew baker that we're reading now that's tough um I would say that it is more inspired by than based on. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think that's the, I think that's the best way that I can put it from where we're at right now. But I bet that that's a conversation that we revisit as you get deeper into this story. Oh, we'll be revisiting all of these conversations <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah, they come up. They come up. <laughs> Themes are not just for eighth grade brick reports. Sometimes they're also for, you know, really complicated superhero espionage stories. Okay, so like, you know, I, I've said a million times, I love at the end of every conversation to talk about our favorite things and to end on what it was that we enjoyed the most. I really love that in the gutter is all bangers all the time. So this is always going to be like the easiest part of the show to do. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to, one of the things that, that Elisa and I have been doing in Endless, which is the Sandman podcast, was um, we would pick our favorite page or favorite piece of art um, yes. and then go into what our favorite part of the story is because the art itself... Um, is definitely like it's all part of the story. It's all part of the same thing. But sometimes there will be a panel or a page that just is so beautiful. And so I always like to look at what is my favorite art from it visually. And so we're going to start with that. And then we're going to go into our favorite part of the story. Um, but my favorite page, um, I, I love what we've got going on with the reflections. We yes. see um, at various times that like Red Skull be looking, you know, through a window and we'll see this reflection, you know, um, and, and we have Cap looking through windows and we see reflections on there. Um, and I think that given the fact that we have, uh, you know, we open with Red Skull being this like cartoonish enjoyer of torture, you know, mm -hmm, for other mm -hmm. people and watching people be tortured. Um, way over the top for whatever it is that he's trying to, you know, achieve. Um, he's also just really, really enjoying the process. And then we have Steve struggling with maybe, you know, expressing some of his feelings on terrorists <laughs> that that he doesn't need to express with terrorists that possibly therapy might be a little bit better for. Um, so he is getting to where, you know, maybe a part of him is also sort of enjoying yes. that torture like really you know like hurting people more than necessarily they need to be hurt in order for you to stop the bad thing from happening so then there's this one page where we have red skull he's looking out the window and we see the reflection of cap superimposed over red skull's face and i love what that does thematically um i think it's it's a really interesting um you know kind of analog to make mm -hmm. um visually in that space um and i just thought it was beautifully done so that's that's my favorite piece of art in uh in this issue 
I don't mind telling you that uh, reflections are going to continue to be a thing. Yeah. In a in a more <laughs> robust way, I am not at liberty mm-hmm. to discuss right this instant. Yes. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I love that you took this really deep thematic look. Um, I think my favorite page, as far as the art goes, is the first full page that we're introduced to Agent 13. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a place where that face acting that Epting is so good at yeah. really comes mm-hmm. through. Because she is clearly not here for Cap's bullshit. <laughs> like, she's just like, can you stop mm-hmm. jumping around, mm-hmm. you fucking toddler? I'm trying to have a conversation <laughs> with you, right? But she can't. That's what she wants to do. This is Peggy's niece, after all. That's what she wants to yeah. do. But she knows she can't do that because he's a big, stubborn man from the 40s. Mm-hmm. So she's got to, like, kind of mollycoddle him through it, you know. And she's just, like, annoyed about it the entire time. But she's also, like, <laughs> like catch it, soften it. Why do you mm-hmm. think that is, Steve? Instead of just, you know, like, fuck's sake, what is wrong? You know. So there's just a lot going on with Sharon on that page. And, again, like I say, when the action, there's some good action in this scene, this issue but it's a little stiff mm-hmm. to me and if but epting's doing the thing that we really need epting to do and that's that page because i know a little bit more about their history and how she's just yeah. like oh, fuck, i could just choke you out <laughs> you know just talk to me like a human you know uh uh-huh. so good i love that bit no it's uh, i i think that if i had that understanding of Sharon as a character. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that would probably stand out to me a little bit more too, but I love that. Um, okay, so my favorite start like story moment is, I mean, it's when Lucan's assassin takes out Red Skull. Red Skull, who has been like, you know, sitting there bragging about all of the spies <laughs> that he has watching. He's he's just taken off the fake face that he has as he walks yeah. by Steve and looks over his shoulder and he's so proud of himself. And then, and I love too that it's not Lucan, but it's Lucan's assassin. Lucan has been doing the same thing to Red Skull yes. and has taken him out. So th- it's another reflection, right? Where, where Red Skull's own tactics are then used against him. And he thinks he's so smart, you know, mm-hmm. but then he ends up getting taken out. Um, so I just, I loved it. I loved it. And that moment, of course, of, oh, my God, like, I wasn't expecting, you know, I was expecting this to not, like, follow through with that nuance that they set up, even though they set it up. And that's one of the things I love, too, when you look back at what you did not expect and see that all of the clues were right there for you that you should have expected exactly this. And yet they still get one past me. I love when that happens. I mean, God bless them for doing a game changer on the end of the page of the first First issue. I mean, I the, it's first it. issue, yes. and it's like, haha, it's completely not what you thought. Um, exactly. So we have the same favorite part, but you mm-hmm. love it for story reasons, and I love it for character reasons. It's just <laughs> fascinating to me. So, yes. uh, like I said earlier, I have zero problems with a villain that's evil for evil's mm-hmm. sake. Uh, I believe those yes. people exist in real life, so please put them in my adventure fiction, especially when I want the focus on my protagonist, my hero. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, as mentioned, Red Skull's a Nazi fuckhead with delusions of grandeur. But the thing is, in order for us to maintain stakes... The delusions of grandeur can't be as delusionary as we would like them to be. Like, mm-hmm. he has to win some, you know, yeah. in order to, over over the course of, you know, issues and decades and things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but here we have him monologuing for an entire issue about how truly evil he is. And if I had a mustache, I would twirl it. <laughs> Behold my destiny. And this was, this was a line that stood out to me. I could mm-hmm. put a bullet. He's saying, he's thinking to Cap. Yeah. I could put a bullet between your eyes at any time I want and you'd never see it coming, but that would be too easy. And then that's what happens to him. So I say, welcome to your 
welcome to your ignominious death, you Nazi fuck. May the tribe of dead, boring Nazis increase. Well, I think on that note, we can probably talk about okay so so now that we have anchored ourselves in the first issue and i don't have to wander through endless fields of captain's america winter soldier (laughs) um and i know what we're doing what are we doing next week and and what is like do we have a little bit of a hint of what's to come yeah absolutely we're gonna spend next time looking at captain america volume five number two (laughs) out of time part two which I will sum up as Steve gets the news about the Red Skull and takes it poorly. Ooh, interesting. Well, I can't wait to to blah, blah, blah. read that. Okay, I'm just, whatever. It's the end. It's been an hour and a half. It's all fine. Everybody no, you did great. Thing. It's fantastic. I did. You, you, know you could go into the, the music with ooh and be gr- in great shape, I think. <laughs> no, I'm going to leave all this stuff in. Are you kidding me? <laughs> This is what it's like to hang out with me and Joshua, where I just ah, ramble the bloopers. on. I Behold the bloopers. There you go. Thanks for listening to In the Gutter with Joshua Unruh and Lonnie Diane Rich. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider talking about it with your friends, leaving a review somewhere, or supporting Chipperish Media, patreon.com slash chipperish. <laughs>